All right, class. Are you ready for the next episode? Hold up. What is going on, Bet Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsley, here in another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. And today, we are finally getting around to recording the Nets episode. And I say broadly, the Nets episode, because there are a number of different things to get into with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we're going to hand out one big detention and explain why. We're going to talk about one thesis that has to do with some other stuff going on in a completely different realm of controversy surrounding them and they're gonna look at kind of like what is the long lasting impact of what the Brooklyn Nets are doing both in a micro sense and a macro sense so I don't know we're gonna call that like micro macro economic no something big small cause and effect I don't know we got a bunch to do to, and a lot of talk about the Nets so let's jump on in all right so in regards to the Brooklyn Nets we're gonna give out one big detention to Yes, you guessed it, Kyrie Irving. So I want to recap the situation briefly for anyone who's been living in Iraq, is not an NBA fan, or maybe doesn't have the entire story straight. But before we do that, I feel like I have to admit that there have been moments in the past, in the relatively distant past, it feels like, that I bluntly said Kyrie Irving might have a point. Some of the not-so-distant past, I guess the most recent thing I can think of was in the wake of January 6th, when he was, January 6th, 2021, right, when people tried to take over the White House and overthrow the election, he was like, you know, I need a couple days off work for my own mental health based on what I just saw happening to this country. And frankly, I kind of was like, that's not, that's not the worst thing. Like, I, I'm pro guys taking days off for mental health after watching traumatic events unfold in the country. Like, I didn't think that was a horrible point. To be fair, there's been moments we talked about like not taking the vaccine because of a bunch of science that's been debunked, or at least the scientists he was citing have certainly been debunked. I was like, that's not stuff I support. But then if you go back a little bit further, he was like, I'd like to have some saying where I get to play. I was like, you know what? That's not the worst statement either. So when he's forcing his way out of Cleveland, like that's not that's not the worst. Or when he's talking about why he wants to leave Boston, talking about like being treated badly by fans, why he was like not because he wasn't like playing through injury. Like like those are those are things I'm like, you know what? He's got a point. And then there's a bunch of stuff where I'm like, oh, he's he's got no point at all. Right. So obviously like the conspiracy theory stuff started for him back in like I think it was 2016, 17, that basketball season when he like broke a flat earth comment in a uh, in, in a public setting. It was, it was a press conference. I forget it was a post-game, pre-game, whatever, but it might have even been a practice availability, but he made some comment about how people need to do their own research when it comes to science and not just believe anything they're told. This is in 2016-17, and that, you know, for instance, the Earth is flat. Now, like, a year later, he walked that back a little bit and said he was, like, joking for effect or something, but admittedly, it was, like, a year later, so I don't know if that's, like, uh, you know, if that's the most trustworthy of claims, but... The idea, like, do your own research, is not the worst idea to me. The idea the Earth is flat is like, oh, you need to do some reading of books, right? That's that's the way that that one goes. Um, he also has done things like, thinks you know, there was motive behind JFK being killed was like trying to end a, a cartel of sorts, and he the vaccine stuff was also based in that idea that secret societies were pushing the vaccine, and that was why it was being required in so many places. Now, admittedly, he's like reposting and retweeting those sources. He's not coming out and saying those in press conference, saying we did the flat Earth thing, but 
what you share on social media, as we're going to talk a lot throughout this segment, is certainly the same as you saying it your, yourself. It's your voice reposting, retweeting, etc. That's very, very important here. In late news, or in recent news, or lately, or I probably butchered how I would say that, but Irving has both reposted a video of Alex Jones, again, the conspiracy theorist that openly in a court of law admitted to making many of his theories up for entertainment value. I think that's an important thing that gets lost a lot in this, that in both a divorce court with his now ex-wife and in a court with like Sandy Hook victims, he has admitted to making up much of his conspiracy theories just to get attention and just to get views because he is part of an entertainment network, not a news reporting network. And so the conspiracy theorist that is Alex Jones, and that's not my opinion, that is who he is. Uh, there was a video that, he, that Irving reshared of his saying that there was a new world order, right? And that the like wealthy, super hyper elites are enslaving the rest of us via you know various methods, including like viruses or vaccines or, or different like secret societies running the world. And I will say that as crazy as that sounds, that is a take that Irving doubled down on when pressed on it earlier this week. So while he did admit that Alex Jones was maybe not the best person for him to push as the front of this movement, he was like, it was a video from the late 90s, and he talked about a new world order and secret societies, which are true, and they're demonstrably false. The other thing I'll say is like, Kyrie, if you if you really think those are true, you can't go with this guy who's admitted in public court of law that he doesn't speak the truth. Like, he, like you need to find a, a, a better source. You know, about doing your own research the last seven, six, seven years, you need better research, dude. <laughs> like, they, they, that's an awful, awful source. And while digging up the Alex Jones name and trying to hype up the name, push the name, etc., like repost the name as someone valid, does bring up trauma to a bunch of people, both tied to school shootings and victims of Sandy Hook and, and all of those types of areas of traumatic life experiences that actually is probably not the worst thing he did in the last, like, two weeks, right? Like, that is probably not the most offensive or hurtful thing he did in the last two weeks. The most notable is he reposted, or I guess he shared the link to and picture of a link to Amazon where you could rent the movie Hebrews to the Negroes Wake Up Black America. Now, this movie, I think in title, sounds like a very, like, powerful movie, right? Like, you know, for the people, for the movement, etc. But it's a movie that is a black Hebrew Israelite type of push uh, it, that's the doc it's a air quotes documentary that is like analyzing a bunch of takes from that type of movement and and at least like extremist versions of that movie because i don't want to act like all black israelites are like looking for this by any stretch but in a extremist version of that movement anti-semitism is fairly common in this movie specifically anti-semitism is pervasive it's throughout the entire film uh, i i can't say i've watched much of it myself it's three and a half hours and cost twelve dollars to watch what i will say is it feels like dozens and it might even be more of reporters following the story have since themselves gone back and watched it and the screen caps screenshots quotes etc from the movie are all just awful and frankly the reason i put air quotes around the word documentary is they're just demonstrably false, right? There are quotes that are made up from Adolf Hitler with his own name spelled wrong <laughs> in which they're talking about like how much the Jewish people are holding back black people and this and that and those kind of things. And it's clearly made to be divisive, to keep two groups of people that have a history of oppression. Neither It's not an Olympics. There's not a zero-sum game here. Both people can have, both groups of peoples, I should say, can have 
horrible histories full of oppression, and the film was meant to pit them against one another, and Irving is sharing this from his social media platforms. His social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram have a combined roughly 18 million people following. If you want to assume there's a lot of crossover there, that's fine, but you're looking at roughly 12 million people that follow Irving on various forms of social media, and that is people ranging from like ages of the eight-year-olds that buy his sneakers because they're the coolest pair of Nikes to have to people that are in their 30s and 40s and like watching hoops, right? Like these are all over the map watching and keeping track of the things Kyrie Irving has posted. The interesting thing to me about this is this is actually not the first uh, black Hebrew Israelite type of thing that he's posted, but it is the most blatantly anti-Semitic type of thing, right? Some of the other imagery, artwork, etc. he's posted is almost beautiful, right? Like, like as far as like, black power and power to the people in those kinds of parts of the culture. And I don't necessarily want to dismiss those either, although, you know, I don't know the roots of every picture, so I don't want to be quoted saying I love those pictures. I don't necessarily know, again, know the roots to every artist and picture. This film is bluntly anti-Semitic, though, and I think it's interesting that, you know, in the grand scheme, this is a sports show, but in the grand scheme of, like, American culture, this is in the wake of what's going on with Kanye West. This is in the wake of what's going on we have at the Florida-Georgia football game, people holding up signs that Kanye West was right, right? This is at a time when, like, anti-Semitism is on the rise. I mean, in this country alone, we're only four years removed from the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Like, this is not a country that's, like, past this by any stretch. And frankly, when you look at, like, the, the verbiage and things, I mean, it's not just because they're making up Adolf Hitler quotes, and I, I, I could go on a tangent about those as well, but I don't think we quite have time for that in this episode. We're already, like, 10 minutes in. I, I do think that it's interesting to see that, like, when you go back and look at the Holocaust or genocide in general, I mean, you can look at other genocides, too, like what happened in Rwanda in the 90s, Generally speaking, division and separation and blaming other oppressed groups and like beating down other already oppressed groups is how you get to awful things happening, right? And so like that language is dangerous. And as a history teacher, not the sports person, right? This is a teacher. This is a show where teachers grade sports biggest issues. As a history teacher, I have to tell you that is the kind of way that these things happen. Generally speaking, before the awful atrocities happen, if you go back several steps, the dehumanization and the language around that dehumanization happens. The blaming of other oppressed people happens. And that is how those things get to the awful atrocities. And frankly, the last few months for sure, but the last several years also have just kind of weirdly felt like we need to make sure we're not taking those steps as a country and as a society and as a culture here in America. And that gets us to the press conference after their basketball game the other night, after a loss to the Indiana Pacers in what has become a disappointing season on the court for the Brooklyn Nets. I say on the court because they've had other disappointments as well, but a disappointing season on the court. Uh, reporter Nick Friedell of ESPN asked Kyrie Irving about the video or the link to the video the he posted on his social media, and they got in a little bit of a back and forth, and I don't need to read all of the quotes. The videos have gone quite quite viral but what i will say here is a couple things one everyone's giving hats off to nick fidel so i i feel like i i don't need to but i am because continuing to press the question not backing down when getting pushback from Kyrie is an impressive journalistic feat it'd be very very easy to just say shut up i need to keep this relationship open going to the next question and fidel valued the truth in that moment more so than his relationship with Kyrie irving i think that's really important the other thing is that Kyrie and Fidel's relationship is always going to be somewhat controversial because 
And Fidel is the same guy that pushed him on vaccine questions this time roughly a year ago, right? This is the same ESPN reporter. They had a back and forth spat in the 2020, uh, 2021-2022 season when Kyrie would not get vaccinated and therefore could not play in the city of New York for most of the year, right? And so this is not like someone that Kyrie thinks of as a best buddy, even though there's a clip from Media Day this fall where they thought they were going to be best buddies, right? Um, I think that what's interesting there is, is that when Kyrie sees Fridell ask the question, there's a very good chance that part of the defensiveness, and I don't mean to give him more credit than he deserves, is because he knows this guy is pushing for a clip, and Kyrie actually acts like towards the end of the clip, like he wants to go viral Instagram again, da da da, because he remembers a year ago when Fridell was pushing him on the COVID stuff, on the COVID vaccine stuff that he would not get, and those clips did go a little bit viral. What I don't think Kyrie understands is like a journalist's job when you're as high ranking as like Nick Fridell is at ESPN is not to go viral. He's got the big job, right? He's not the blogger that's trying to break through to the big time and get the viral clip. He's already got the job that the viral clip would get him. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to push for the truth. And what he's asking Kyrie is the truth about a situation in which Kyrie put a lot of people in danger. Kyrie in the press conference that night acted like this was no big deal because his words did not harm people. And that's where he's mistaken. And that's where the detention really, really comes in here. At least the detention, I should say, really, really comes in here. When you are a celebrity or a big person of note like Kyrie Irving is, and you want to use your platform to spread powerful messages like do your own research like he's been doing for the last five or six or seven years or how far it goes back, right? When you have that kind of a platform, the responsibility of that platform is also when you push these other ideas out, those get tied to your name. Kyrie Irving can't have it both ways. He cannot say, I'm the free thinker pushing for free thought for my people. I'm using my platform to promote the power of his own people. And then in the same vein, act like what he says is not a big deal, right? Those two thoughts are cannot exist together, right? You either have this power and say, or you have no power and say. And Kyrie, A, correctly, can admit that he has the power and say when it's something he wants to happen, and it's the kind of pub he wants to get, right? It's when it gets in this area where it's like the vaccine stuff, or the flat earth stuff, or this anti-Semitic stuff, where he's trying to act like, oh, what's the big deal? It's just words. And I think we can all agree that it's not just words. We're seeing too much across this country, both in like, Elon Musk taking over Twitter and how much hate speech on Twitter skyrocketed just in the 72 hours after that. We're seeing in the anti-Semitic rally, and we're seeing literal swastikas flying around the country in the last six years, right? We have seen hate speech and violence rise in South Carolina and Charlottesville and all across this country in the last six or seven years, depending on when you want to go far back. Really, you could argue a decade if you go back to some of the things the Tea Party were doing and insinuating violence as well. The same violence, frankly, that if we go back, you know, go full circle a little bit, that led to January 6th and led to the kind of day that Kyrie Irving said he needed to take a mental health day from, right? That same violence all is predicated on this type of language and these type of ideologies getting out and being shared, and he actively participated in that. Now, he does not deserve slack. What I will say is, while it took him four, five, six days to walk anything back, and an embarrassing long amount of time for the NBA and the Nets and anyone to even admit his name. We saw all these organizations, by the way, come out with like, we stand against anti-Semitism, blah, 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 and all these statements that are very generic and bland and like, cool, good for you. But they didn't mention his name until 
Wednesday night, November 2nd. Now remember, the game with the press conference happened October 29th. That's several days between just the press conference, let alone the sharing of the video before anyone mentioned his name as having potentially done anything wrong. So maybe we need attention like the whole NBA. Maybe. I, anyway, I'm sitting on Kyrie Irving for this. So... Wednesday night, and the reason we're finally getting to record this episode is because the story continued to twist and turn, but on Wednesday night, Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets issued an apology in which he openly admitted there were ideas in that film that he did not agree with. And they both said, you know, they're going to give $500,000 a piece to the Anti-Defamation League and, you know, try to do some restorative action in that way, there's been no suspension announced or, or whatever, but there he and the Nets both are going to give $500, so a million dollars goes to the Anti-Defamation League, which is not chump change. I don't mean to sound dismissive. It just feels like if we're going to do this several days later, that that's kind of a, a weak response. I will say, though, on him saying that there's some ideas in that film he doesn't stand with, I I stand firmly, and I'm taking this from Bomani Jones. Did, did he really watch the film? Like, Ky- Kyrie, did you watch the movie? Did you sit down in the middle of an early tumultuous basketball season where your team has high hopes and you've got to be watching film and training and we see the way he plays basketball and that's not like an easy way to play. You've got to constantly be sharpening your tools and skills. Did you sit down for three and a half hours and actually pay attention to that film? Because frankly, A, that would almost be more acceptable if you'd been like, you know what? I saw first 10 minutes. Or I saw someone write write up a story about this. I thought it was a good film, and I shared it having not watched it. That would almost be like a level of idiocy we could all understand. He just shared something he had no idea what it was, and that's not that he's held firm that that's not what happened. And that that just his apology doesn't make me feel any different there. The other thing I think is interesting is um, in levels of anti-Semitism, right? Uh, obviously, Kyrie Irving is a much better player than Myers Leonard. But back in the bubble, we can remember that Myers Leonard got more likes excommunicated from the league, right? He got cut from the Miami Heat, didn't get picked up again, and so on, because he, while playing on his professional gaming Twitch stream, said an anti-Semitic slur, right? Um, now, I think that there's power in language in a way that, like, slurs carry a little bit heavier weight, too. I don't know how you're going to weigh, like, sending out, like, blasting this Amazon version of a movie that is very, very overtly anti-Semitic versus saying a slur on Twitch versus I don't even remember how many people are on that and what what's different and what's his word versus copying their words and so on. And I don't necessarily need to get into an Olympic event about it either. But what I will say is interesting is that while, again, understanding that this is at some level capitalism and sports and like being better means you get more more stretch or more you know leeway or, or what have you, that the extreme for Myers Leonard was you're done pooping in this league. And Kyrie Irving is like writing a check. Like these, these don't feel even relatable. I understand that like realistically they weren't going to kick a guy like Kyrie Irving out of the NBA, even though guys like Shaq and Charles Barkley and a number of different analysts and former players said that they should, right? They're not going to kick him out of the NBA um, like they did Myers Leonard. But also like, there's no, there's no suspension here. There's nothing from the league about social media. We've seen the league punish other people for their social media presence, frankly, for much more mundane things, right? Like when Eric Blizzard said, I don't want to be here anymore because he wanted to get traded, that drew suspensions and fines from the NBA. That's just being honest. What does this get him, right? right? If this is being honest, how is this not a worse feeling than being wanting to be trade I, anyway i digress i could go on and on about how the lack of punishment i've been waiting for to eventually publish this episode and then finally getting it is so 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 disappointing but moreover i'm disappointed in the way that this whole thing went down from Kyrie irving and the fact that like 
There's so many people in Brooklyn in the Nets organization acting like this ain't a big deal. Meanwhile, Brooklyn's a city that's overwhelmingly, I say overwhelmingly, it's got a much higher Jewish population than the rest of the country. I should I say city, I guess I should say borough. New York City, I guess, would be in a similar boat. But the other thing I think is interesting about that is like Brooklyn and the Nets don't really have this like home court advantage. It's kind of this hipster, trendy, basketball's a fun thing to do in Brooklyn. It's a you know, got some talented players or whatever, and like in 2021, they were like, you know, a, you know, an inch away from potentially winning the whole thing, right? The impact of this in the long term on the franchise and the impact of the inaction from the franchise for several days in the long term of like the interaction with the city, the borough, etc. is going to be long, long lasting and detrimental, right? Like this is going to put a wedge between the franchise and Irving and so on from a large population of New York and Brooklyn and all of it. And frankly, NBA fans as well, because there was no walk back for several days. There was, frankly, not even a whole lot of solid retribution. The first couple days after the press conference with Fidel, the net solution was let's just not let him talk to the media for a minute. Like, this is all, all atrocious and all, all, all to the detriment of the Brooklyn Nets that, frankly, don't have home court advantage in the same way like their crosstown rival, the New York Knicks, do, right? They don't have that kind of a vibe going for them at all. And then to have, like, in the very next basketball game, a series of Jewish men in yarmulkes wearing fight against anti-Semitism on their shirts, sitting in the front row of Barclays Center, is more powerful than anything that Brooklyn or the the Brooklyn Nets, I should say, or the NBA have done, right? This moment, like, hey, we are part of this fan base, borough, city, town, state, country, etc. And you just insulted us. You just drove a wedge with us. You just inspired hateful speech and act against us that was more powerful than anything the nets have even tried to do right and so i say to all of that that there's a big big detention here for at least Kyrie irving i say at least a detention for at least Kyrie irving there's probably also blame and detention to go to the nba there's probably also blame and detention to go to the brooklyn nets and there's a lot of things going on here that I just i'm not sure a as you sit here, I'm recording on this segment on Wednesday night, November 2nd. I hope that there's more to the story. I hope more comes out and more ret- retribution and more restorative action continues to happen. Like, okay, you donate all this money to the Anti-Defamation League. Can you go work with them? Can you go see, put your boots on the ground and see the kind of impact that these hateful movies and acts can have on people? And and I say that, I hope that that's where this eventually goes. And then B, like... You don't have to live with chronic pain. Downtown's Health can show you a better way. Joint pain, back pain, pain that sits and waits. Downtown's Health offers an alternative with physical and regenerative therapy. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. NBA, we got to do more. You're, you're supposed to, you're the one that, league that tries to be progressive all the time. Where's the progress? Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the 
oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, so a thesis we're going to do in our Nets episode here is going to be that the Brooklyn Nets should not be allowed to hire Ime Udoka in the middle of the season like they just did. So I hear that thesis, and I think I'm going to give it a B+. All right, so I gave the Brooklyn Nets being able to hire Ime Udoka at this point in the season a B plus, but I feel like if you have been living under a rock, you have no idea what we're talking about the Nets right now, or you just haven't been paying attention to basketball because it's football season, the World Series, etc. We probably need to back up and talk about what all is going on. So, Steve Nash is out in Brooklyn. That was officially decided as of Tuesday, November 1st. It was about middle of the day when we got the Wojbaum at first saying that he'd been fired and then quickly pointed out by several other sources saying there was a more of a mutual decision. But either way, for the intent and purpose of this episode, Steve Nash was out as Brooklyn head coach on the morning or midday, I guess, depending on what time zone you're in, of Tuesday, November 1st, after a win over the Indiana Pacers, who had just beaten the Brooklyn Nets, over the weekend a couple nights before and so i think what's interesting here is like they did this after a win so this feels like it might have been premeditated like there wasn't enough of a knee jerky type of reaction coming off of just the second win of the brooklyn Nets season net to make me feel like oh this is because of something that had just happened frankly if you're gonna fire him after a loss they probably would have done it after the loss to the indiana pacers a few days earlier right? Like that's, that's what would have happened. Anyway, so this feels a little premeditated. And then what happened in the next like three hours made it feel really premeditated. So shortly after he got fired, the quick question to everyone was like, well, who's going to get the job? And everyone jumped to the immediate interim would probably be Jack Vaughn. And I think that's probably a fair guess because he's got the most head coaching experience and he's now, you know, theoretically the like next man up in Brooklyn right and the quick the question went from then very quickly to like okay now what's going to happen to brooklyn like are they going to kind of throw in the talent tank or they can't tank because they got a pick swap with houston are they going to try and trade guys for pieces try and get draft poops etc and all those kind of things and like an hour into asking those questions on twitter which is you know its own fun conversation very quickly the Woj bomb drops again saying that they're looking at udoka and quinn snyder now quinn snyder was just let go of his duties in utah last spring but this idea of Udoka is fascinating. You haven't been here with the NBA or the stories around the NBA. Udoka just took in his first season as Boston Celtics head coach, the Boston Celtics, to the NBA Finals last season. It was, frankly, a historic Steph Curry type of, of series away from, honestly, winning a title in his first year. He had the talent. He had the team. He had the game plan. Steph Curry just had a historic series, and we di- digested that all summer long. But I think what's interesting here is is that very quickly – Something happened in that organization that sounds like sexual misconduct. We don't have a whole lot of concrete details besides that. And so I'm not going to go on a bunch of rumors, things like that. But it sounds like some very awful things did happen in that, you know, in the office part of that with Emil Doka. And they suspended him for a season, meaning that they didn't have to pay him severance, get out of the contract, etc. And they didn't necessarily have to let him go. But 
they got they you know they suspended him. He won coaching this season, and Boston was going on without him. And so it's interesting that Brooklyn was able to get him because the question here arises: the thesis asked, or the thesis proposed, I guess I should say, the Nets should not have been able to get him because he was still technically the suspended head coach of the Boston Celtics. So the same way, like if. I don't know, Popovich got a bunch of technicals. You couldn't just go hire Popovich because he got suspended for technicals in between games, theoretically. Except that Brooklyn did it, right? Brooklyn actually went and got this guy and got him off of the suspension and got him into Brooklyn, just up the road to Brooklyn, which is a heated rival of Boston. I know that the series was a sweep last year, and I've said this several times. That's as close a sweep with games being decided by one, two, and three points as I feel like you could realistically have. But I don't think people really want to hear that. Anyway, Brooklyn is a, you know, certainly culture rival to what's going on in Boston. It's New York versus Boston, and it's stars versus stars, and and so on. Brooklyn's had a disappointing season, and so they moved on. Now, in moving on from Steve Nash, I think what's interesting is I wrestled with Steve Nash's hire in the first place. On the one hand, I like watching Steve Nash play basketball. I think he's a great point guard from a very unique system that, frankly, plays out better in the modern NBA than it did 20 years ago when he was playing. And I kind of got the merits as far as him being a head coach. He also got fast-tracked to being a head coach for a team with multiple superstars on it, probably because he looks the part, like, if we're just being honest. And I was really, really, like, torn on my own stomach about, like, what do we do with that? Because on the one hand, I could see him being a great head coach, on the other hand, I feel like this is an element of privilege working its way into the coaching ranks. And that was its own like back and forth in my own head. Obviously, since he's been in Brooklyn, they feel fairly disappointed. Now, the first year with you know the injuries and so on, like nothing good was going to happen. Cool, whatever, right? In the second year, right, Kevin Durant comes back. He looks better than ever. And they're a shoe-size away from beating the Milwaukee Bucks, who go on to win the championship that season. And so, like, if you remember the play I'm talking about, if you don't remember the play I'm talking about, I'm referencing this a couple times, Kevin Durant tried to turn around three-point jump shot that would have won the game in Game 7, except his foot was on the line. And so his foot was on the line by literally less than a shoe size, and that meant it was a two-point basket, which meant the game went to overtime, which meant that the Nets did eventually lose in overtime to the Bucks. The Bucks went on to win the championship over, I guess they had to win the Eastern Conference Finals over the Hawks, and then went on to win the NBA Championship over the Phoenix Suns. Uh, so that was the first year with both Durant and, well, I guess with just Durant healthy because Irving actually missed a chunk of that series and Harden was playing with a bum hamstring. Fast forward to last season, Harden asked for a trade in the middle of the season. They bring in Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons really gets to play and they have that close series with Boston I alluded to earlier. So that's the like disappointing aspect of the Steve Nash tenure. But moreover, this team kind of feels off the rails with all the Kyrie drama, Kevin Durant being a you know jerk to reporters, and just like this general vibe in Brooklyn that's giving off a lot of stink across the league and across the media landscape and all things around Brooklyn basketball. So you've got all that going on, and Steve Nash has to be the fall guy, apparently. But I actually look at this as like, you know, as far as managing egos goes and those kind of things, like I I don't, I don't know what else you expected a first-time head coach to do. Like, what, I, what realistically could you have had done? And if you brought in some like strict veteran head coach, wouldn't you just had these Kyrie blowups earlier? Wouldn't you have just had these moments earlier in the process? Like, like what realistic options were you going to have? And frankly, when you put all this together, could you have predicted that Kyrie Irving was going to be an anti-Semitic, anti-vaxxer? Could you have predicted that those kind of things? Could you, could you have predicted that? Kevin Durant was going to be wearing too big a shoe on that one night. Could you have predicted that James Harden was going to hurt his hamstring on that one night? Could you predict it? All of those things. I don't necessarily think that that's fair either. But either way, 
they decided that Nash was the fall man for all things going wrong in Brooklyn right now, and they cut ties with him, and then they go get a suspended coach. And I think the thing that hits my gut the most at, I'll say the second most, we're saying the most for the third segment, so stay tuned, but the thing that hits my gut the like second most twisty-turvy kind of way that makes me a little like irritable in my stomach about this whole situation is they still have a head coach off of another good team entirely because he wasn't able to coach currently right like if he were coaching boston currently there's no reason for him to get up and leave boston to go coach in brooklyn but he wasn't coaching currently he was suspended and frankly probably had some legitimate fear that he might be fired before the end of the suspension if more came out about the investigation and so he was just picked up because he was kind of available not because he was available but because he was kind of available and also if brooklyn wanted this guy he's only in his second year of coaching the boston celtics they could have had him they could have had him if that was the guy they really really wanted i mean he he absolutely would have taken that head coaching job two years ago right he absolutely would have taken that coaching job if he really wants it more than boston a year ago if they want to get rid of nash back like, like theoretically like this is just happening because He's quasi-available, not because he's actually available. And I don't like the present that setting where you're taking another team's head coach in the middle of the season. Now, does it offer an interesting, like, in-between because he's not actually coaching the team right now? Yes, it does. But if the LA Lakers decide they want to go get, like, Mike Budenholzer midseason, I don't know that I'm comfortable with him, them having the ability to go get the head coach of an act, uh, the acting head coach of another basketball team while he is still the head coach. Does the suspension make this a little bit different? I guess, but I don't like the precedent that it sets, and I think that's why I'm so high on this thesis. The only reason I gave it a B plus and not an A, an A minus, an A plus, is because I guess technically he's not really the current head coach because he's not really head coaching the team, but that feels like too many technicalities for me to do anything lower than a B plus on this. So I'm going to sit add a B plus on this because I, I just I don't like the idea that an NBA team can go get a acting head coach in the middle of a season. If it happens in the preseason like two months ago, go for it. They have time to adjust. If it happens at the end of the season, like in June, July, next next year, go for it, right? The team has time to adjust. The idea that you can lure them away in the middle of the season feels frankly, in the case of the Nets and the Celtics, like it could be this like unfair advantage because, you know, you just throw a bunch of money at the guy or whatever, and, like, all of a sudden, they're head coachless midseason. Now, is Boston prepared to go without Ime Udoka the rest of the season? Yes, and that's why this feels a little bit funky and different. But the precedent that sets is not great, right? Let's say that the Warriors are in a heated Western Conference race with the Grizzlies down the stretch here, and Steve Kerr says, you know what, I got to hang it up. I got some health problems or, or whatever. I don't I don't wish that on anybody. I probably shouldn't say it like that, but he's got to hang it up, right? They can't just go take Taylor Jenkins off of the competitive Memphis Grizzlies to hurt the Grizzlies in the middle of the season, in my head. That doesn't seem right or fair or whatever. That, that, I, I just, I don't, I don't think I'm comfortable with that. I can't let that slide. I, I, I gotta sit pretty high on this one. The last segment here, I don't know if we're gonna call it cause and effect or micro macro, but I also don't like what this hiring Emo Doka does for a number of reasons because. It, it is involving this sexual misconduct controversy that I just don't feel like we all know enough about. There are tons of rumors out there, and I don't want to give in to a bunch of them. Some of them are like twisted, you know, sick jokes. Some of them are like deep, dark, and twisted in other ways, and, and all those kinds of things. But 
Imodoka was suspended because of sexual misconduct that led to the end of his own marriage. And it sounds like with another married woman within the organization. And part of the misconduct happened, it sounds like, based on the facts we have, because he was a higher-ranking person in the organization than this other person. I mean, to be fair, the head coach is one of the highest-ranking people in an NBA organization, right? And whether or not they actually get to sign checks or not, I guess, is more of a technicality. Within the culture and sway of the organization, the head coach wants it. Generally speaking, there's only one or two people that can tell that person no, right? And so that's where the dynamics of power come into this. The idea that did this woman really have the option to like stand up and say no, or, or even if it felt, con- even if it was reportedly consensual, because that was the report was that it was a consensual relationship. The idea that she had the actual and realistic option to say no is kind of a far fetched one, right? Because there's too much worry about her actual job or actual safety and well-being if she says no in situations and that's how we get to these things they have not released the name of the woman um i think there's lots of hints at a couple people that could be and i i try not to give into those kinds of things because frankly without the actual admission that we know who the woman is i i just i don't think it's fair to assume and so with all of that said we are now at a point where Imodoka has been suspended because of these acts and these acts are disturbing and boston and like frankly Boston, to their credit, and I, I don't give credit to the Boston Celtics organization very often, but to their credit, Brad Stevens and the organization came out and said, this is disturbing, this is disgusting, this is not staying in our program, we're going to have them suspended for a year, and they act like there's going to be some more restorative action over the course of the year, and I, I think that that's powerful in and of itself because Brad Stevens came out very adamantly and said, look, I don't care about the success we just had or how good a hire this coach looks like it was a year ago, we've got to say no to this behavior. And frankly, that a team built on capitalism and winning is turning down both money and winning to do this makes me feel like, man, that must have been bad. And it also makes me feel like, man, the Celtics are doing this in a moral way that I appreciate. And so I I, I say both those things make me feel like the idea that he is now going to be coaching basketball games again later this week feel a little icky right like at the end of the day it's like huh well if whatever he he was suspended by the boston celtics so the nets were able to pick him up and he can coach this season because they are not the boston celtics he was not suspended by the nba right and so that he wasn't suspended by the nba means that he's eligible to coach the rest of the season right like there's no nba suspension because it was not nba investigation it was all internal within the boston celtics and so He's only suspended from coaching the Boston Celtics. And if it was egregious enough to force a year-long suspension, given the situation and how much we know teams care about winning, I have to feel like it was fairly bad. And what are the Nets saying to all the women in their organization by bringing this guy in? They're saying that they don't stand in the same high moral ground that Boston does. They're saying that they don't think that these things are at least to give them the most benefit of the doubt, worth investigating further, right? Say they didn't actually investigate and say, hey, boss, and we'd like to hear more about this. That means they just didn't care enough to look. And that is its own level of negligence and bad, right? Um, so Imadoka is now, without having done the restorative action, without having, without having served much of, I think they've played like seven or eight games, the full suspension, landing in what could be a great job. He's got two all-stars, one guy that's like a top 20 player all time. Like he's theoretically got a shot to go win another NBA championship if things fall into place and actually work out, I guess. But he theoretically has a team with the talent, surely, to do it in a 2K type of simulation. And 
he didn't necessarily prove that he's changed or learned anything. So if you're a woman that works with Brooklyn Nets or just a woman that lives in Brooklyn, how are you supposed to take this from the franchise? This is a very clear signal from the franchise that they don't care about those internal things that happened in Boston. Either they don't care enough to look at them or they don't care enough about what they were. And I don't know each one of those is worse, but they're both bad. There's no good option here out of Brooklyn, right? And that's really, really disheartening and disappointing to hear and see. And frankly, it's coming at the end of a week where it's like, how much more stuff can Brooklyn lump on themselves that makes them this atrocious franchise to look at, right? Like, generally speaking, like, listen, I'm a fan of the Houston Rockets. I want to see the whole thing tank and implode because that's two shots because Houston's tanking themselves. That's two shots of them one pick overall on the lottery balls, and that's two shots of Victor Wimbayana. That's two shots of the silver, silver medal prize, Scoot Henderson. That's a bunch of good stuff for Houston. However, I'd like it to just fall apart because, like, they don't gel on the floor. Right? Like, no one would root for any of this disgusting behavior to happen. It's happening, right? The Brooklyn Nets are actively doing these things. They're actively not condemning Kyrie Irving by name. They're actively not punching him more than in his pocketbook. They're actively getting rid of Steve Nash to bring in a guy with a sexual harassment case or sexual harassment investigation in the last six months. They're actively doing each and all of these things when they don't have to do any of them it'd be so easy like listen they were one in five when Kyrie Irving and Nick Burdell went back and forth and he doubled down on his stance you know what you could have done then suspend him you know what you could have done then you probably lose a few games of suspension no you've been doing anyway losing freaking basketball games there's no difference there except in one you've at least like tried to stand on the moral high ground on it right you've at least tried to make yourself better people better franchise better you know culture better etc all across the board because you're losing games anyways, right? Like, like at the end of the day, you're not fixing things and you're not winning things. You're doing the worst of both, right? And I just, uh, maybe maybe this, here's the real danger, is that Kyrie once upon a time said that this team didn't really have a coach. They all just kind of coached and worked together. And maybe that's the real danger here, right? Maybe that's the danger is that Imodoka is just going to be one of many things going on in Brooklyn. And that's kind of the way it feels. Like, is Brooklyn going to go sign Josh Primo now for the disturbing behavior that came up in his past? Right? Are they going to go get trade for Draymond Green because they know that he punches teammates? Like, what, what are they going to do here? And I don't mean, I guess I should probably back up. Draymond Green punching a pe- teammate in the heat of the moment at practice is not the same as the disturbing and amoral behavior happening across a handful of other parts of the NBA. So, I don't want that to be like, oh man, Andrew, think, no, we can back that up. I'm just saying, as far as other headlines have gone lately, what else could the Nets really do to sink further at this point? Friends, that was a Nets episode. I hope we didn't talk with them again for a long, long time, unless it's talking about things that they're finally fixing within the franchise. And again, I'm a guy that would benefit from them losing. I'd still like to see them fix some of these things. If you like hearing my voice talk about sports, you can check out the Locked on Cougs podcast. That's every day of the week. We're talking all Houston Cougars, all day long. That's again every day of the week. So you go check out the Locked On Cougs podcast wherever you get your podcast. If you're looking to talk to me in person, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. It's P A I N S W O R T H 512 on Twitter and Instagram. I love talking Houston sports, Rockets, Cougs, Astros in the World Series. I don't talk the Texans a whole lot because they don't win a whole lot of games, and that's kind of depressing. But I will say that I'll talk 
hoops, sneakers, football, whatever you want. So make sure you find me on Twitter at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. If you're looking for this show on social media, we're also at F underscore N underscore sports on Instagram, and we're at FN Sports 2 on Twitter. It's F-I-N-S-P-R-T-S, number two, all one word, on Twitter. In both of those social media handles, you're going to link tree in the bio and find all of our sponsors. That's the Beer Struggle, that's InTheClutch.com, that's Yeti, etc. You can also, through that, find a link to our merch store and get different merch that helps support various charities across the country. We have a different charity support each month and a month in November, before in November, in November, we're supporting No Shave November and Men's Health Causes. So make sure you go buy a flunk shaving shirt and help support great causes and support the show. If you're looking to support the show for free, you can do so by giving us a five-star rating, leaving us a positive review. Do all the wonderful things about the podcast. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtown's Healthcare in Denver. Downtown's Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.